For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. There's a couple of different things here woven around each other in this scripture in Titus 2 and 3 that we've just read. Uh, the first of those things is salvation. The salvation that comes to people through the grace of God. So chapter 2 and verse 11. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Uh, in context from the one and a half chapters we've skipped over up to this point that we've just dropped in on, by all people Paul's been speaking about old men and young men, old women and young women, wives and husbands, servants and masters. All kinds of people have been saved, and here's the point, by God's grace. There is no other path for any of those people into salvation but via God's grace. But the second thing that weaves around with that here in that reading uh, then opens out from the next verse in verse 12. Uh, the gift that brings salvation, verse 11, is also training us says verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. We've been saved by God's grace, but then he transforms our lives as we respond to having been saved. 
by his grace. We must now learn how to live uh, Christ-like lives together in Christian relationship and community together while we wait for Jesus to return. Uh, Verse 13, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and gave himself with that twofold purpose in mind, as the verse goes on, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus saves us so as to then transform us. Those are the two things woven around each other in this scripture, salvation and transformation. And the imperative upon Jesus' gospel workers, like like Paul writing this letter and and Titus, the worker receiving this letter, is, is that they must proclaim these two truths of salvation and transformation. So uh, verse 15, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Titus must take this ministry on because all people everywhere must come under God's word. They must hear of the only one hope of salvation which comes by the grace of God in Jesus Christ to one and all who receive it and all who do receive it must then step into the transformation that God has determined to bring to everyone whom he saves. Because our great God and saviour, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to both ends, that we not just be saved, but thereafter transformed. His purpose is to redeem and purify a people for his name. Sometimes these two truths we're looking at here of salvation and transformation are separated out from each other a bit more clearly in Scripture, like in uh, Romans or Galatians or Ephesians and so on, where we, where we read about the first truth of salvation by grace for a few chapters, and then we move into this second thing, the transformed response that should trigger by the Spirit's renewing work in our lives thereafter. Uh, here in Titus, the two things kind of wrap around each other more tightly, Uh, winding around each other like the two colours of a candy cane or something as the message kind of unfolds. So we've got to be more careful in scriptures here, like this in Titus, that we we keep our eyes on both things as we follow the letter through, uh, taking care that we don't miss one of them, nor blur the two things together as one, and, and nor in that to kind of get the order around the wrong way. And to put a bit of clarity on that, the transformation part is responsive to the salvation part in all this. The the grace of God in the blood of Jesus Christ to save us comes first. It has to come first. Uh, Take, for example, as we think this through more, the specific instruction that then follows for Titus in chapter 3. Remind the congregation to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's beautiful and godly instruction for the church. Pray that we might take that on. But be sure to catch the big reason that the church should walk in those ways together in the very next verse. The reason is because we have already been saved. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
All of us, Paul says, even you and I, my dear Titus, all of us were once bound up in that sin, uh, enslaved by the love of self. But not anymore is the thing, verse 4, and thanks be entirely to God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see the flower thought in those verses as they wind around together? We were once enslaved by our sin, but for God who saved us out of our sin through Jesus. He regenerated us by his Holy Spirit, which we thought about a couple of weeks back. God rebirthed us to receive of this saving grace and he renews us by the same Spirit because the Spirit of God has been poured out on all who believe and richly poured out through Jesus Christ our Saviour God. We are therefore justified. There's that word again, uh, justified. We are, we are declared right with God, even though, of course, we have all sinned. We are justified by his decree and by his grace, which we thought about a few weeks back when we were uh, getting through uh, wrath and atonement in this series. Here it is again, Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, just as it was elsewise said in different words in chapter 2 and verse 14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from our sin. By grace, we have been saved. But as these things wind around, the flow then goes on, just as it also did in chapter 2 and verse 14. So again now in chapter 3, we have been saved by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ by the gift of God so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And by might, we should better read here in English, would we were saved like so, so that God would make us heirs according to the expectation, might be a clearer word, of eternal life. All of this is ours in Jesus, not just salvation from our sins, but salvation unto glory. Glory in store for us now like we cannot even yet conceive. In other words, the renewal part of all this still obviously has a great work to do because we will not spend eternity in the same old sin that we were saved out of. No, we will spend eternity in a perfect purity with God. Purity, this is his purpose, to redeem and purify a people for himself. And between this point in time and that point in time, and while we wait for this coming appearance of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus, chapter 2 and verse 13, between salvation having been applied to our hearts right now by the Spirit of God poured out on us and that appearing of Christ in his glory at the end, that great day that will come, we continue in the meanwhile being transformed. That's why Titus must exhort and rebuke the church to live upright and godly lives in the present age because they have been saved by God's rich grace and therefore must now be made ready 
for the presence and the glory of God. Do you see the two things then and their order and their connection? Because we are sinners, all of us, salvation must come to us freely by God's grace. There is no other way for that part. But the only response to that part, to being saved, is that we now be transformed. Paul goes on even more, chapter 3 and verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. On the other hand, a few examples of what is not fitting anymore for those who have been saved. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Those are the ways that characterise what we were like when we were unsaved. If we've been saved from such sin, then we will now receive the rebuke, chapter 2 and verse 15, to, to increasingly be leaving those kinds of ways behind now. For now and forever, we live to Christ. The inherent relationship between these two things and the order between these two things, salvation and transformation, account for much of the New Testament teaching. This is a big part of what these scriptures give us. So if you catch it here in Titus, you'll you'll catch it everywhere in scripture because these things are what God has given to us and because these things speak to our actual reality, our actual reality as we come to the living and almighty God. We are helpless in and of ourselves and so we must depend upon his saving grace and yet he has an eternal purpose for everyone he saves, to purify them, ready for his glory. In reality, though, these things are hard. A good many people haven't taken hold of these two words, salvation and transformation, or, or they've blurred the two things together. They, they just hear all this stuff in Scripture as just one overwhelming and confusing kind of Christian soup. To understand these beautiful truths we're looking at today is to see the two things as distinct and yet connected necessarily. Distinct because the things of our transformation, these things we're looking at here that we're given in this scripture, for example, the good works that the Spirit calls us to in in thankful response, those things will never supplement or, or substitute for our salvation in any way. Salvation will always be of the grace of God. And the things of salvation in that grace, that grace that justifies us through faith in Jesus, given us when when the Spirit of God was poured out on us richly in Jesus Christ, those things are no supplement or substitute for our transformation now. The two things are perfectly distinct in that way. And yet they are also perfectly connected because to those whom salvation belongs, 
transformation also now belongs in due course. Both of these things are what God has decreed for his people. As I say, we've picked up these two things in Titus here today, just jumping into the middle of a letter, but we could have opened up and jumped into the middle of just about any of the New Testament letters and seen these things because these simple truths, salvation and transformation, are written over and over through Jesus' scripture as as, as Jesus' apostles give Jesus' instruction to Jesus' church. And so that's why we're looking at these two themes today. These two themes must therefore become part of our framework, how we're trying to summarise the, the basic counsel of God in his word. His word comes to us rich in these two ideas, that he has saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ, so that... He can now transform us more and more to make us like Jesus Christ. What happens if we do miss one of these two ideas or or blur these things together or get the order wrong? Instinctively, this is how our hearts actually think. We We would think that we must get ourselves right if we are to be accepted by God, which is a way of thinking that misses the gospel. It's a way of thinking that fails to catch the free and gracious salvation part of God's gospel. Titus 3 and verse 4, just look at that glorious scripture again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is all of God. And it's all past tense that salvation truth. Many people call on the name of Jesus and and haven't actually yet come to terms, full and glorious terms, with the reality of that text and all the others like it. The salvation that God's word proclaims. He saves us not because of our own righteous works, but by his mercy. To be saved is to be rescued by God despite being a sinner without any righteous works. And yet so many Christians are actually operating under what is really a works-based kind of hope of heaven. They're actually pinning their hopes on themselves. They they might even say that, well, Jesus did his part, and they can see that part in the cross, but somehow or other in their minds and in their hearts, it's now down to them whether uh, they will finally uh, come into this glorious inheritance of eternal life is on them somehow. That that burden is because they're basing their hopes on themselves. What they do or don't do now, whether they have a good enough faith for all this and so on or so on, they must read their scriptures. They must read their scriptures. God saves the unworthy, entirely, therefore, by his grace. The whole part of salvation 
is of God. We are made right with God, Titus 3 and verse 7, by his grace to us. That is his gift to us. It is not something that anyone can deserve or earn. Salvation is a rich and glorious and most undeserved gift. Take hold of that truth of salvation today even more. But so too, and on the other hand, uh, equally falling short is that we can catch that. We can catch the salvation part of that gospel, that Christ died for our sins and and then kind of leave off there and and just nothing more without picking up on God's transformative purpose in saving us. So uh, many people call on the name of Jesus for salvation, but their lives don't ever really change. And, and not to say that they're only changing slowly or changing in fits and starts. That's not what I mean. That, that's par for the course on this kind of epic change. But no, I mean... They don't even seem to want to change now. They hold up the word of salvation in Jesus Christ and almost hide behind that word. They have no actual heart response to such a gospel as as rich as what's just been laid out here. No kind of heart response because despite what they say, they're actually determined to still hold their old ways of sin. Almost as if because of God's grace... They don't see any need to let sin go. The church is called in scriptures like this here to press people on that, to press people on that and see if they will give in and let go of that sin. If they refuse to give in, well, by that they testify to their love of sin and to their poor understanding and maybe poor appreciation of the means of God's rich grace when Jesus gave himself for his people. But of course, if they do receive correction when pressed and change, then beautiful things, wonderful things are spoken of their hearts and their hopes of heaven. God's purposes of salvation would seem to be at work in them. So the letter closes on such a note, chapter 3 and verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. God has real change, fruit, growth, transformation in mind for his people whom he has saved as his possession. This is what he is doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ, saving and transforming a people for his name. Both those things God is pressing us on in this scripture here must therefore become part of our framework, how we understand his word and what it means. And yes, the church must press these things on people, just like the New Testament letters press these things on God's people so that we can truly hold out salvation by God together with his purpose in saving, all of which will help build and clarify and strengthen Jesus' church. So we might take the charge to Titus here and press in a bit today. Where are you on these two things? 
Are you caught up in a workspace striving in your face? Uh, maybe deep down in, in your heart where, where it's kind of too dark and hard to see. Is there some kind of silent pressure down in there, uh, always questioning you inside, throwing doubt onto your salvation in and around you and what you are doing or didn't do? Uh, always quietly putting pressure on you as to whether you've done enough to be right with God or perhaps keep yourself right with God. No amount of striving will ever do that for you. No amount of striving on our part can ever do that for us. Come to God for mercy today. You can be justified freely by his grace through Jesus Christ, and only that way. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is no other way. There is no other way. Or on the other hand, are you claiming that gift of God to, to be saved by Jesus, but resisting any kind of righteous change in you now in response? to that gospel, if you stopped and just took stock of your life right now, would you, would you see signs of, of a new devotion in your heart to do good? Are you living to please God now in, in thanks for his gift? Are you wanting to be made ready for the glory of God? Is that what you have in mind? The glory of God where you will be forever? Or, or are you still tangled up and held back and, and determined in some or other sin. If you have been saved, then ultimately that will no longer do. Let go of that sin and come to God for release today and renewal. You must be sanctified made ready by his spirit and made fit slowly but surely for the presence of the living and almighty God. Receive that truth of God. Trust God on that truth and step into this change, this new life that he has in store for you. Step into it with him. This is his purpose in saving you. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works.
When we take hold of both of these truths here and get them around the right way, of course, the course of our life is forever changed. Our hearts are set alight in these two things. Here we come to see and take hold of the glory that is now in store. That we are of ourselves, of course, altogether unworthy of God and therefore incapable of setting that right, but that he is full of mercy and grace. And yet that even more wondrous is that he will reshape us and and purify us now, ready for his presence to behold his glory. He has called us to no less than, than glorify him and enjoy him forever. Only here in these truths, in both of these two truths together, do we realize just how amazing God is and continues to be. Truly he has lifted us up out of the mud, we can say, but now will take us all the way up into his glory. What a breathtaking gospel these two things make. How this fills our souls deep down with joy, inexpressible joy to know that both of these things are ours in Christ Jesus. They have been given to us by God because we know where we ought to be at the end of all things, don't we? And yet we know too now where nevertheless we are destined to be. And we will witness the great difference between those two ends unfold in our lives even as we go, which will only multiply our joy the more we see it taking place to know with certainty that these things are true. And so while we need to understand the order between these two things, that our salvation comes first as a one and done by Jesus, but that transformation then inevitably gets underway in response, it's actually kind of helpful to see them woven around each other in scriptures like this one here in Titus. Because in a way, the one enlightens our hearts on the other each way, knowing that we already have been saved well, that opens up the only way of free and, and genuine transformation. But seeing that transformation come into play clarifies for us that our hearts have indeed come into salvation. These are such good words to get into our framework and to get right. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, these are two beautiful words in your gospel, our salvation and our transformation under your spirit, under your grace. Help us, Father, not to ignore one or the other of these words and and nor to mix up the two in our minds and in our hearts. Instead, Father, please strengthen us in our faith with understanding these two words and the way they fit together under your word. Exhort us and rebuke us with these two words. Set us right and and set us right on our way. Uh, Ransom us and now purify us in Jesus' name and by the power of your Spirit at work in our lives until we behold you in your glory that day. Amen.